The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Peter and John had been the vessels God had used to heal a man. The scripture says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which one must be saved. I hope you know Jesus. If you miss everything else, if you miss everything else, know Jesus. Everything else comes into perspective once we know who Christ is. I'm Pastor Joe. It's good to to be here with you this Sunday morning. Worship is not just a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock experience. Worship is a position of the heart to a holy and gracious God who by his Holy Spirit enables us to stand. I do have a message for you today. We are continuing in the book of Esther. Uh, Before we get there though, if you're a a Sunday school teacher, could you just stand for a moment? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and then we're going to let the people around you love on you just for a moment. Hold your raucous cheering just for a second. You have uh, signed up for service. Not in Joe's army. Not in Bemis Point Methodist Church army. In God's army. And you've said, we will. And to whom much is given, much is required. And the Lord has equipped you for all of the things that you are going to be doing. And he'll give you everything you need. The scripture says that he gives you everything you need for life and for godliness. You just seek Jesus. Let's pray for them, shall we? Holy and gracious God, thank you for those who are called to teach. Who are going to be entrusted with our children, with your children, God. I pray that they would find joy in service to the king. I pray, Lord, that in the midst of their moments of doubt and wondering and chaos, that they would experience the joy of the Lord and the peace that surpasses understanding. God, I pray that they would be equipped by your Holy Spirit to be anxious in nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication to present the request to Holy God, who the word says is near. God, that you would guard their hearts and their minds and that you would protect their families that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them in magnificent ways, that they might lead your children in the way everlasting. Lord, may their minds stay clear. May they be focused. May their bodies uh, be filled with strength and courage to navigate the days. 
And may they be filled with anticipation of what is to come as they prepare to receive their reward and their crown. Jesus, be glorified today through them. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's give them a, a hand. I would encourage you. I would encourage you to pray for our Sunday school teachers on a regular basis. Uh, we're in the habit of praying for all of you. I would just be intentional on your side to pray for the ones that are going to be equipping your kids. It's a really important job, you know. I want to do one more uh, thing. If you are, if you work in, in education. Could you just stand for a moment? I know that many of you went back to work this week or the week before. It, whether it be a teacher, an administrator, if you work for the school districts, a bus driver, whatever, whatever, your, whatever your role is in our, in our educational systems, I want to pray for you also because you have a very unique role. So our Sunday school teachers are teaching kids in a, in a Christian environment at the church, right? You have the opportunity to take the light of Jesus that you received last week into the schools. And I want to just challenge you and encourage you to, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Caesar does not get to determine your relationship with God or your ability to pray for and administer that grace to the kids that are entrusted to you. God alone has given you that power and that authority. Take your authority and go forward. Let's pray for these friends that are going to be... <laughs> They signed up for this gig with great excitement. Maybe on day one they were like, why did I do this? Don't lose that excitement. Those children that are entrusted to you are God's kids. Even the most challenging of them. Holy and gracious God, thank you for those who you've called to teach in the world, who you've equipped to, to be present with others, who you've equipped to care for, to feed, to transport, to administrate. God, it, uh, it does take a community to raise a child, and it's the community of faith that raises children in the faith. So God, I pray for protection over those in the school districts right now. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would go before them and, and pave a way into the future that is very clear for them. I pray, Lord, that they would have supernatural boldness, that they would not be ashamed, that they would not be fearful, but that they would be, uh, be mindful of the God who is within them and among them and around them. That we wouldn't need Mordecai to come and say, who knows, but for such a time as this. God, that we would know, like Daniel, that we have been placed here for such a time as this. So Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them, Jesus. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them, Lord, and give them your peace by the power of your Holy Spirit who dwells within them. Lord, may they be strong and courageous for you are with them. May your word not depart from their lips. May they meditate upon it day and night. And may they be filled with the joy that comes from knowing you and making you known. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you for your service. We have, uh, at times, institutionalized the church, right? That just means that we've made it kind of like a business or a, a structured setting. And there is need for structure. God is a God of order, and that's not what we're preaching on today. But um, sometimes we, we need to allow the fluidity of the Spirit of God to just move. And I think you, you were doing that this morning and allow the Lord to continue to just kind of move 
within you. As, you. as you sense the spirit of God today, be faithful to whatever it is God prompts you to do. Um, we're going to try something else. This is the day for new things, right? This is the day for new, new and exciting stuff. It's a new day. Um, Melody Overend, who preaches at, at uh, DeWittville, uh, the Christian Community Church of DeWittville actually is the church's new name. They have officially disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church and joined the Global Methodist Church. But um, she put together a, a worksheet for us, and I've gotten really good response last week from, from the folks at Park Church about this. So if you'd like some sermon notes, could you just lift the hand? Okay, the teachers in the room are like, yes. I need a couple other volunteers. I need somebody who can run these around to the people with their hands up. Can you help me? Somebody help me do this? Yeah, come on. Yes, you guys are perfect at this. You're willing. Look at you jumping in on, on right away. Perfect. Hand these out. Hand these out. Oh, Tom, you're out, of, you're out of a job, buddy. Come on. Here you go. Here you go. Wait a minute. Come back here. Come back here. Come back here. Wait a minute. Come here. You got to go way over that side. Go way over there. Anybody with their hand up, give them one of those. Yep. Just run through the crowd. Perfect. Wave your hands frantically. Uh, we can make these available to you uh, online if you find this a helpful resource. We're, we're asking the questions of how do we communicate more effectively? Because what, what we don't want to have happen is we don't want you to leave and wonder what the heck you just heard from the Lord. So we want to try to figure out better ways to, to communicate what God is saying to us uh, so that we can say that to you effectively. Um, last week, Tom didn't, this, this was live time last week, and unfortunately Tom and I weren't together I do have last week's also. So if you would like that, that will be available at the center. You'll find it's a, it's a little resource guide to help you study the book of Esther um, where we're going to spend five weeks, well, four more weeks. And, and Esther, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this this morning, but I think we're going to try it. What, you tell me a little bit while they're handing some stuff out. What do we know about Esther so far? Just, just yeah, say, share it. One more time. Does anybody know anything about Esther? She was a queen. Yes, Esther became a queen. Yes, what else do we know about Esther? One at a time now. <laughs> she was Jewish. She was an orphan. She was uncle to... Her uncle took her in. I was like, Esther was a woman. She's not an uncle. I don't think that's what you said, but it wasn't. She said her uncle took her in. Uh, Mordecai was his name, right? We met some of these characters last week as Tom rightly divided the word of God and, and articulated uh, clearly the message throughout the book of Esther. What else do we know about Esther or the book of Esther? It doesn't mention the word God in it anywhere or prayer, right? It's not mentioned in the book anywhere. Um, I, don't, I don't recall, Pastor Tom, you got to forgive me. I don't recall if you shared this last week or not, but I have an invitation for you. And if Tom shared this last week, well, I'm just piggybacking on his. Uh, but we challenge you to read the book of Esther every week. Read the book of Esther. It's only 10 chapters. It's 167 verses. On Google, it says it should take you about 24 minutes to read it. If you put it on, on, your, on your phone and you're listening to it while you drive, it's probably your trip from the driveway to work. Unless you work close. It's about 24 minutes for me to get here. I don't know. I don't think you'll regret the decision to spend time studying the Word of God ahead of time. Because if the only place you're getting your education about who God is and your only time you're studying the Word is on Sunday mornings, you're going to find yourself like 
thirsty all the time. Whereas when you spend time in the word and with God, we come prepared. And you're going to find that God starts bringing you, you things and some revelation and some insights into the scriptures and into life that maybe you didn't have or, or know before. I need to borrow this. Brandon, can I use this one? This was Olivia's. Olivia, can I borrow this? Okay. You might regret saying that. Just saying. You're such a team player. You'd be a great teacher. You know that? Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're not going to read the entirety of Esther chapter 3 and 4. But we're going to be looking at a few specific spots today. And we're going to look at, at kind of three key things as we unpack each chapter. In chapter 3, we're going to find and be able to identify what the problem is in this narrative. We're also going to be able to see the plot line that kind of carries us through. And you're going to hear very clearly the purpose of a few people's lives. What we want to communicate consistently throughout, though, is that Esther is a story about God's provision and God's protection for God's people. Let me share that one more time. Esther is a story about God's provision and protection for God's people, even when God is not recognized. Even when we don't see the name God or we don't see God around us, Esther is a story about God's provision and God's protection for God's people. You may not always see God at work. Fumble. That's why I'm not on the bills. Right there. That's it. And I'm too old. That doesn't mean that God isn't at work just because you don't see him. That doesn't mean that God isn't at work or that God isn't present even in the midst of your really difficult stuff that Tom started to help you unpack last week. He's still with you. He's still around us. And the invitation throughout the, the book of Esther is to start looking for God in the unseen places. Because when you start to look for God in the unseen places, that which appeared to be invisible becomes visible. You know, as a, as, as a car owner... One of the things that I found kind of unique was that the, for the longest time I didn't really notice other vehicles until I had one just like everybody else's. You ever have that experience like you think you're buying something unique and different and nobody else has a black avalanche? You'd be amazed at how many rusty black avalanches there are out there. It's like I was all of a sudden in tune to that which what I was looking for. And that which had been on the road all along with me up until that point, all of a sudden became visible to me. Maybe part of the reason you're not seeing God right now is because you're not looking for him. That's not a judgment. That's just a potential observation. And the person who knows the answer to that statement is the man or woman who was looking back at you in the mirror this morning. As we dive into week number two this week in chapters three and four, I want to uh, 
not only challenge you to read consistently Esther over the next four weeks, I want to invite you to consistently start to ask the question of God, where are you? And see what God reveals. I want to back up just for a moment. If you've got your Bibles, if you could open to Esther chapter 2. Because I think something there is going to help us with something moving forward. And it's one of, the, one of the key pieces. And this is maybe me showing you where God is present in the book and in the story before we recognize his presence there. One of. He's throughout the other parts too. Which, by the way, uh, I had tremendous conviction last week about something. And I thought maybe I'd share it with you this morning. Um, when we started unpacking Esther 1 and 2, I shared... We were going to use the bachelor or the bachelorette as an analogy of this story. And the Lord brought tremendous conviction to my heart. Because one of the things that we have done is the exact same thing that, that King Xerxes was doing to Queen Vashti when he told her to come out and parade herself before him. And what he did to Esther when he had Esther and all the other beautiful virgins in the land parade themselves before him. So that based upon her beauty and her charm and her prowess in the bedroom, he would choose his future wife. What is wrong with us? This is 2,000, 3,000 years ago almost. We're doing the same exact thing today. People in power are using their position to oppress those who are powerless. There's no room for that in the church. And we've done that at times. And if you have been a victim to that, I'm sorry. If you've been a victim to that in society, I'm sorry. Let's be known by something different moving forward. Let's be known as the people who value all persons as created in the image of God and of sacred worth. I shared with you a few weeks ago that, that scripture needs to be read. Uh, you need to look at who's writing and you need to look at, look at where it's coming from. Because not everything you read is, is from God for you. Like it's not God saying do this. In the story of Esther we're going to see lots of things taking place that are not godly. It doesn't mean it's okay to do it. We need to look for thus saith the Lord. And then do that. The end of chapter 2, we experience uh, the great conspiracy where Mordecai sees, and, or actually overhears, two of the king's councilmen kind of plotting to kill him. Has anybody heard one of those stories? No, good. If you do, please tell the authorities. Mordecai overhears this, and then Mordecai tells Queen Esther... And listen to what takes place next. And this is very important. It says in verse 21, it says, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana and Teresh, I picture them as like big and rich. I, I don't know. Big guy, small guy, I don't know. Uh, big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, they became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Mordecai was sitting there and he overheard this taking place. He says, But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, Listen to what she did. Queen Esther reported it to the king. Pause just for a moment. 
It would have been really easy for the queen to say right there, hey, I overheard something happening. You know, it was uh, two people were going to plot to kill you. And the same end of this portion would have taken place. But what it says took place at the end there, it says, she gave credit to Mordecai. There was no plagiarism from Esther. Esther didn't take that which was somebody else's and take credit for it for her own advancement and her own achievement. Just tuck that little sentence away in the back of your mind. It says, when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. And then, the very end here of chapter 2, says, all of this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. The book of the annals is the record of the king. You're going to find that show up in the very near future. Remember, we don't always see God at work. Esther's faithfulness here, though, is going to set the stage for God's plan to unfold. In chapter 3, we experience a couple of key things. The first is Haman's plot to destroy the Jews. This is not just some, some fictional narrative that we're reading here. Haman was filled with anger. Verses 5 and 6, and that anger spewed up and overcame him when Mordecai would not bow down to him. It says in verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, listen to how anger can kind of well up and it can really cause some really dangerous things says, he learned who Mordecai's people were and he scorned the idea of killing Mordecai. So you're like, well, that, if we stop right there, that seems reasonable, right? He's not going to kill Mordecai anymore. Oh, no. Anger and bitterness left unchecked will destroy human beings. And pride... The scripture said, pride goeth before the fall. It says, instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, all of the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. He wanted to annihilate an entire human race. You need a little bit of a backstory. Who was Haman, remember? What was Haman's, what was his ancestry, remember? He was an Agagite, okay? Agagite is an important, an important word, you got to understand that. Agagite comes from the Amalekites. If you read the beginning of the Bible, you experience the Amalekites who God told the Jewish people to annihilate, to destroy them. Evidently that didn't take place because Haman's around and a whole bunch of Agagites, the problem here is that there was a century and even millennial old root of bitterness between two people groups. And the devil, who we must not neglect his presence in this story, is always trying to destroy God's people. Always. And will use any means necessary to destroy us. 
Haman was an Agagite. Mordecai was a Jew. Now, I'm going to propose something that we don't necessarily have an answer to, okay? So a couple of things. The first is that Mordecai clearly did not kneel down to Haman when he went by, right? Some might argue that, well, that was because he was a Jew and we're not to bow down to other gods. Well, there's room in some of the laws for Jews to pay honor to other kings and stuff like that, not to worship them, to pay honor to them. So was it because he was a Jew he wasn't bowing down? Or was it because Haman or Mordecai knew that Haman was an Agagite and there was tension between the two parties? Let's not perceive Mordecai to be a saint. Because he proposes some things that we would say aren't right. That's not in line with the full message of the gospel. That wasn't even in line with the, the full message of, of God's law given to the Israelites. I wonder where we find ourselves in the narrative right now. Because this is the beginning of the problem. This is what it all stems from is this, this tension between two groups of people. And one who is in a position of power is bound and determined right now to execute every single one who he has power over in his mind. As I was talking to God about this, I was thinking about the fact that so many of us have people in our lives that we don't communicate with any longer or that we feel are, are, are more, in moral opposition with. Those with different political views. Those with different social views. Those with different religious views. Those with, and you can fill in the blank, those who have hurt us or our, our ancestors. We can't escape the reality that we live in the age of the church. So that moment after Christ was resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father where he remains and the Holy Spirit birthed the church. You read that story in Acts. That's the age of history that we live in right now is the, the church age. Christ is going to come again and it will be the, the reign of the king at that point and it will all be over. But we're not there yet. But living in the church age, we have the full story and we recognize through the whole scripture that there is neither Jew nor Greek Slave nor free, male nor female, Democrat nor Republican, you fill in the blanks. The scripture says that we are all one in Christ Jesus, who is the head of the church. In our culture today, sometimes we're quick to let walls come up between people groups. I think God has a different plan ultimately. And what you witness is in moments of faithfulness, the church or the people of God in the story start to advance. It doesn't give the devil a foothold any longer. Haman is mischievous. He goes on to convince the king to annihilate the Jewish people. You read the rest of that in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, 
we experience something a little bit different. And I want to just encourage you to, to this. So as I have read this book I, maybe 15 times in the last two weeks, I read it almost every day. And I keep asking God, okay, Lord, what do you have? What is there in here for me? Not for you. I mean, that's important too. But what do you have for me, God? And, and this verse right here that I'm about to share with you, God brought tremendous conviction to my heart just this last week. And it's verse 1 of chapter 4, and it says this. It says, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. If Mordecai had bowed down to Haman, Haman would not have been filled with rage and anger and went to annihilate the entire people of Israel. I think part of what Mordecai is experiencing right now is tremendous guilt and tremendous pain for his maybe disobedience, especially if it had to do with the fact that he just didn't like Haman because he was an Agagite. And he was witnessing genocide as a result of his sin or potential genocide is a better way to put that. If Mordecai's refusal to bow down was a result of racial barriers, his sin was the very tool the devil was going to use to annihilate the entire Jewish race. Where the Lord brought conviction to my heart was in the fact that at times I have not done what God has asked me to do. I've misstepped. At this stage in the game, it's not usually intentional. There's two types of sin. There's sins of commission where we actively are engaging in sin and sins of omission where we don't recognize that we're doing it or we're not doing something that we maybe should be or could be doing. But about the time the Lord brought conviction and started to reveal very specific things to my life, about that same moment I also received his mercy and his grace. And he restored me into right relationship with him. And he revealed that he is slow to become angry and abounding in steadfast love. But that he does not tolerate sin. Every night, well, I should probably preface that with almost every night. Sometimes I fall asleep in the process so it doesn't get completed. But every night I try to ask God, okay, Lord, where have I sinned against you and others today? Sometimes those are, are really peace-filled evenings. Sometimes they're, they're thrashing, kicking, and screaming evenings. I wonder what your process is for allowing God to reveal sin in your life to you. Mordecai's purpose became very evident in verse uh, 1 as he realized that he was here for such a time as this also. That's kind of the cliche term in the book of Esther, right? That's what most people recognize Esther for is found in verse 14 of the fourth chapter. It says, and, and who knows, but maybe you have come to royal position for such a time as this. 
This is Mordecai's plea to Esther to act faithfully. Mordecai also recognizes that God is not bound by Esther's action or inaction. Because his statement just prior to that says, If you remain silent, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from someone else. But you and your father's family will perish. That's fascinating, by the way, as you juxtapose those two things against each other. Where's deliverance going to come from if she's going to be killed in the process and her family? Mordecai shows a tremendous level of faith in the promises of God. I want to leave you with uh, six things or six questions maybe to understand and receive God's purpose for your life. And that wasn't the only reason that Esther was created. We, we mistakenly say that at times, that we only have one purpose. Well, you do have one purpose in life. That purpose is to, to glorify God. That's why God created you. God created you to enjoy God's company and to glorify him. And to enjoy his company forever, actually. Not just here on earth, but into eternity. So I, I've, I've started to think about what are six things that we can do that maybe will help us understand what God has us in right now and how we can maybe see God at work in what we're doing right now, even if they're difficult. And they come right from the story of Esther. So the first one is seek the counsel of others, especially, especially those that know King Jesus. Mordecai, in the first or the second chapter, knew what would be needed for Esther to present herself to the earthly king, right? He knew what Esther needed to do, and he positioned her for such things. Find people in your life that know Jesus and seek their counsel, and then trust them. Second, don't hesitate to ask others to join you in the journey. Esther's invitation to Mordecai at the very end of the fourth chapter, she says this. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. I met with a family recently and uh, they were going through some really difficult things. And, and the husband was going to have a difficult conversation in the future. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I said, the day before you have that conversation, you call me and I'll fast and I'll pray for the conversation that you have to have. Call those who are in your, in your group of people. Don't hesitate to ask them to join you in the journey. Be diligent in your thoughts and in your steps to getting to where it is you believe you are called to go and where others have confirmed that calling. There is no room in the kingdom of God for lone rangers. In fact, lone rangers aren't Christians. They're lone rangers. You receive counsel and understanding from other people because they're able to see your blind spots. Fourth, test it back to Scripture. Scripture is the final authority. If that which you are proposing or you believe God is calling you to do is in conflict with Scripture, you, that is not God calling you to do that. That is the devil de de um, deceiving you, disguising himself as the voice of the Good Shepherd, who he is not. Always test it back to Scripture. It gets the final say. Love people well on the journey. All people. 
even those you don't agree with. Esther loved the king. And finally, give yourself grace and mercy. Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves in the process, especially if we're in a difficult spot. We're so hard on ourselves, we don't extend ourselves grace. And we sure don't extend ourselves mercy. Friends, the the God who knows you better than you know yourself gives you mercy and grace freely each and every day. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, so that none of us may boast. It is the free gift of God which leads to eternal life. What might God be up to in your life right now? Yes, that's rhetorical, kind of. What is God up to in your life right now? Where is God looking to use your life and your situation? Listen very carefully to this next statement. For his glory. Not for your glory. For his glory and to advance his kingdom on earth, just as it is in heaven. You've all been positioned in very unique and special places. You have special gifts, special talents. You were uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made. God delights in you and longs to use you. Who knows, but that he's wanting to use you right now for this time. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for being present with us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, for revealing yourself to us. God, may we be faithful at allowing you to to not just reveal yourself to us, but to, to move through us to others. That the grace and mercy that we have received again today and maybe even the problems that we have engaged in, the forgiveness that we've received already today, may we be faithful to administer that to others. God, I ask that you reveal yourself to your church. That you burden them with with your thoughts and with your visions. That you reveal a pathway forward for them in the midst of difficulty. And that your Holy Spirit would enable them to be faith-filled and faithful people. Jesus, we love you. God, you've been so good to us today. In your name we pray. Amen.